Listen to these words. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of God descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came to him, took his feet, and worshipped him. May God speak to us this day through these texts. Well, it's Easter. Today we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection is the foundation on which all of Christianity rests. But do we fully understand it? No. Can I explain it to you so you will leave here fully understanding it today? No, and I'm not even going to try. One can't explain mystery. One can only experience it. I can no more prove or explain the resurrection than I can prove that people love me or how the origins of the universe really happened. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to wrap my head around the Easter message. Oh yes, I believe that something happened that changed the lives of those present that morning. Yes, I believe that something has changed the world as we know it. And yes, I believe that Easter is about transformation and mystery. But what's hard for me is to wrap my 21st century head in a way to relate to it. These words seem so otherworldly, but are they? I've experienced earthquakes. I don't like them, but I know what they are. And many of us who were in San Francisco not too long ago, we understand them. I've experienced death more than I would like to even say. I don't enjoy it. I know what death is. I have felt its sting. I understand that. I've even experienced angels. Now, angels in Greek are messengers from God. That's what the word angelos means. Messengers inviting me to look at my life and my situations and people differently. Many of you, in fact, many of you, in fact, have been angels to me, whether you are aware of that or not. I know women and men like the two Marys in the narrative that we just heard who stand by watching and waiting and serving and praying when death is imminent, when death occurs. You might ask, have I ever seen anyone rise from the dead? I actually have. I have seen lives turned around. I have seen forgiveness offered. I have witnessed medical miracles. 
You know, so maybe Easter is not so otherworldly. It's just so ordinary and worldly that we take it for granted, which makes it mysterious and extraordinary. Like love, so ordinary, so extraordinary, so mysterious. Why do we love another person? And why does another person love us, love me? Reminds me of a movie popular some years ago now, Chocolate. A woman, the backstory is a woman moves, she's kind of a gypsy type, she moves into a small hillside village in Burgundy, France, and opens up during Lent, no less, a chocolate shop. Now the mayor of this little hamlet is a very traditional, uptight man of faith, and during Lent, one gives up many, many pleasures, and of course, one of these pleasures is chocolate. The town is split as people are sneaking in to taste some of this wonderful delight. The priest, finally on Easter Sunday, speaks his truth, which I believe is the truth of the resurrection, the truth of living Jesus' commandment to love one another. In his Easter sermon, he said, do I want to talk about the miracle of the Lord's transformation? No, not really. Do I want to talk about his divinity? No, I'd rather talk about his humanity. You, you know, I mean, how he lived his life here on earth, his kindness, his tolerance. Listen, this is what I think. I think we can't go around measuring our goodness by what we don't do, by what we deny ourselves, by what we resist, by who we exclude. I think we need to measure our goodness by what we embrace, what we create, and who we include. This is resurrection. When we open our hearts to one another and let all biases fall away. Victor Hugo, in his magnificent historical novel, Les Miserables, describes how Jean Valjean, the main character, descends into a life where he becomes sullen and bitter. Valjean, a common man, a laborer, is caught stealing a loaf of bread for his starving family, and he's sentenced to five years in jail. Those five years stretch to 19. And by the time Valjean is released, he's soured and angry. His gloom deepens as he tries to get a job and can't. He's been marked as a criminal by the community, but he's also been tattooed with a number on his arm, 24601. Hopeless and exhausted, he stumbles into the house of an old bishop who greets him with respect, offering him the hospitality one would to an honored guest. Jean Valjean is confused by the bishop's generosity. This cannot be true. He couldn't believe it, or he was unable to believe the genuineness of the bishop's actions, so he steals some silver plates and flees into the night. The next day, the police arrive at the bishop's house with the silver and the captured criminal. Valjean is utterly de dejected and is sure he'll return to prison. 
Confronted now by the man with whom he returned generosity with treachery, the bishop astonishes not only Valjean, but the police as well. I am so glad you returned, the bishop said, in your haste. You left the best behind, for I gave you these candlesticks as well. As Hugo narrates the bishop's astounding words, he writes, Jean Valjean opens his eyes, looks at the bishop with an expression no human tongue could describe. Forced to release their captive, the police depart. The bishop, in handing the candlesticks to Valjean, looking him straight in the eye and calling him my brother, says, you no longer belong to evil but to good. Today, I have bought your soul for God. This is resurrection. For Jean Valjean, it was through the simple act of forgiveness when he died to his old life and was reborn to a new one. Easter, my friends, happens whenever we open our hearts and our minds to one another. It is when we touch one another. This is the truth of the gospel. Rachel Naomi Remen, retired professor now from the medical center up at UCSF, talks about an incident that happened to her when she was in her late 20s. In her own words, Rachel writes, at 29, because of Crohn's disease, much of my intestine was removed surgically, and I was left with an ileostomy. A loop of bowel opens on my ad abdomen and an ingeniously designed plastic appliance, which I remove and replace every few days, covers it. Not an easy thing for a young woman to live with. And I was not at all sure I could do this. While the surgery had given me back much of my vitality, the appliance and the profound change in my body made me feel hopelessly different permanently shut out from the world of femininity and elegance. At the beginning, I could barely even look at my belly, much less at the appliance. So it had to be changed for me by a nurse specialist. These white-coated experts were women of my own age, in their 20s. They would come into the hospital room, put on an apron, a mask, gloves, then remove and replace my appliance. And when the task was completed, they would strip off the protective clothing, toss it away, carefully wash their hands, and leave. This elaborate ritual made it even harder for me. I felt shamed. I felt dirty. One day, a woman I had never met before came in to change the appliance. She wasn't dressed in white, though, but in a silk dress, heels, and stockings. She looked as if she was going to meet someone for dinner following. In a friendly way, she told me her first name, then I asked if I would like to have my ileostomy changed. When I nodded, she pulled back the covers, produced a new appliance, and in the most simple and natural way imaginable, removed the old one, replaced it 
without putting on gloves. I remember watching her hands. She washed them carefully before she touched me, not following. Her hands were gentle and soft, beautifully cared for. She was wearing pale pink nail polish and her delicate rings were gold. At first, I was stunned by this break in professional procedure. But as she laughed and spoke with me in the most ordinary and easy way, I suddenly felt a great wave of unsuspected strength coming from someplace very deep within me. And I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. I doubt she'll ever know what her willingness to touch me in such a natural way meant to me. In 10 short minutes, she not only tended my body, but she healed my wounds and gave me another perspective on life. Several years ago, Ellen Rankin, who was supposed to be here today but woke up with stomach flu, that's why she didn't do the things that the bulletin said she was going to be doing. Ellen and I attended a two-week, a two-day event with Rachel where she shared a postscript to this story some 30 years after the actual event. On her way, being driven to SFO by a friend, the friend asked, were you ever able to talk to that nurse telling her of her action and what it meant to you? Rachel said, no. You were at Stanford, right? Uh-huh. And that was a small community, the hospital back then, yes. And you never saw her again? No, I never did. Did you ever know her name? Well, she mentioned it when she walked in the room, but I don't remember. I didn't even hear it. No, I never saw her again, and I don't know her name. After a very long pause, her friend said to her, Rachel, maybe this was an angel. Rachel was silent. She had never considered that as a possibility and never before wondered whatever happened to that nurse. In those 10 short minutes, it was as if God was saying to her through the touch of that nurse, that angel, it's not over yet. This is resurrection. All of us, my friends, all of us, live our lives, between our old lives and our new lives, between what was and what will be. And maybe it's this in-between place. This is the place where resurrection takes place, a place where we're challenged, a place where we're changed, a place where we get it, we really get it, that we're loved, that we're really loved. Resurrection is never static. Never. In fact, people who experience resurrection are translucent. They appear to glow from the inside. Can I prove this to you? No. But I do know, I do know people who are translucent, who do glow from the inside. There is in them a sense of peacefulness and centeredness and freedom. It's as if nothing is hidden. All opaqueness is gone. They are people, in my mind, who live resurrection and who practice it daily. You see, my friends, 
I believe resurrection is something we know when we experience it, like love. It's so otherworldly, and yet it's not. I believe resurrection is something like forgiveness, like the forgiveness that was offered to Jean Valjean. I believe resurrection is something we practice, like receiving a gentle touch from a nurse that Rachel received. I believe resurrection is something that isn't otherworldly. On the contrary, it happens in the world where you and I live. This is God's promise to us. And the more we practice it, the more freedom, interior peace, and luminescence we'll be able to share with the world. And this, my friends, this, my friends, is resurrection. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.